Good evening. Hate to break up the fellowship, but it is time to begin our evening services. Thankful to have this good number back. We'll have a little bit more about our, our special services tonight in just a, a moment, but uh, again, we do invite you back. Uh, if you're visiting with us, I want you to know that you are a special guest. Hope that you can stay around following the services, give us a chance to meet you, learn a bit more about you anytime that you have the opportunity to be with us here at Mount Juliet. In our announcements this evening, again, we rejoice with Gwen Fetzer, who came forward last Sunday evening asking for prayers of forgiveness. Hope that you'll remember her in your prayers and continue to encourage her any way that you can. Our congratulations are extended to Greg and Tiffany Bowersock on the birth of their daughter, Lila Kate. She was born on Thursday, September the 8th. She weighed 7 pounds, 4 ounces, and was 19 and a half inches long, and she joins her big brother, Warren, at home, so we're happy for that family. On a sad note, or again, our sympathy is extended to Brandon Adcock on the death of his brother, Josh Craighead, on Friday. His body is at the Hermitage Funeral Home. Visitation will be tomorrow from 4 to 8. The funeral will be Tuesday at 2 o'clock, with visitation before that beginning at noon. One additional sick to add to your sick list, June Cumbie, the sister of Myrna McKinley, is not doing well. She is in St. Thomas Hospital, room 774, so continue to remember her in your prayers. Remember, following the services tonight, our 6th through 8th graders have their devotional at the home of the Waltons. They should return here to the building by 915. Coming up this week, tomorrow, Disaster Relief will be packing boxes at 10 o'clock. A van will be leaving the building here at 845 if you can attend that. Recovery Through Christ program meets Tuesday nights at 7 o'clock. The Tuesday Ladies Bible Class resumes this week at 10 a.m. with a luncheon to follow. And for our high schoolers, remember Rush is this weekend at Freed Hardeman. We'll be leaving the building Friday evening at 4 o'clock and bring enough money for four meals. We will return on Sunday. Next week coming up, we have a jail ministry service. And for all those that help out with the Meals on Wheels program, remember the Appreciation Banquet next Sunday night after the evening services. There's a sign-up at Information Central for that. Now we'll turn it over to David for the remainder of our services. Good evening. It is good to see each of you. If you're a guest, we're glad that you're here. We welcome you. We hope that um, your time here will be an encouragement to you. Uh, you definitely are an encouragement to us. It's always good to be together. And tonight we come together with somewhat a, a soberness in our view, with a, a heaviness in our heart, but also a lot of joy and a lot to be thankful for. Uh, we come very much with mixed emotions about this evening. Any of us that were old enough to remember back 10 years ago at 845 Eastern Time on 9-11 of 2001, it was a day that we started hearing reports. Was it rumor? Was it true? Some said that a small plane flied into one of the towers and we began to turn on our televisions and we began to watch online and we began to try to figure out and the more we learned, the more horrifying the day became. We watched another jet as it was used as a guided missile into the second tower. We looked at the very hub and capital of our American defense, the Pentagon, as it was on fire. And we wondered, where's Flight 93 headed? What's going to become of it? 
And even though we regret and we're sad that lives were lost, in a strange sort of way, it was a type of relief that it simply fell into an open field in Pennsylvania. It was there that one of the first responders saw the tower on fire and he cried out over his radio, send all the firefighters you can to Manhattan. Have them mobilize the U.S. Army. We need the Army in Manhattan. And at the beginning of that day, that would have made no sense to us. And by the time night had fallen, that made all the sense in the world to us. One of our deacons, Kerry Chapman, he wrote last night or this morning about this very occasion. And he said, as someone who was there, who watched the second jet crash the tower just a mile and a half from me, as someone who was supposed to be meeting a customer in that building that morning, but through the grace of God, the meeting was rescheduled so that I could handle another customer's issues that day. As someone who walked the six blocks back to his hotel that night because there was no subway service in a darkened city, in a dark Times Square, with armed soldiers on every corner, the sound of sirens all through the night, smoke and dust on everything. Skimping down just a little bit, he says, thank God for our country and for His blessings. I always heard people that were the age of my grandparents say they always remember exactly where they were and what they were doing on December the 7th morning that they heard that the Japanese had bombed Pearl Harbor. I grew up always hearing my mother say that I remember exactly what I was doing and exactly where I was and exactly how I felt when in November the 25th of 1963 I heard that our president, John F. Kennedy, had been assassinated. And now all of us that were old enough to remember in 2001, we have that very same tie emotionally and even far beyond emotions to this day of 2001 of 9-11. You see, it's a day. It's a day that as we watched it, the rage and the range of emotions were great. It was a day that we found ourselves wanting to hug our children a little tighter, appreciating our spouses and our family a little more. It was a day that we found ourselves realizing that not only would the search continue for rescues, but also soldiers would be deployed. Church attendance would go up. That year, the Mount Juliet Church of Christ had 52 baptisms within that one year. And yet within this day came the reality that there were some good things that came from it. By that evening, people were beginning to post the banners, and they've been posted ever since. 
bumper stickers, across walls, across billboards. We will never forget. 3,000 lives were lost that day. Their memory and the honor to their memory should never be forgotten. It was a wake-up call to us of the modern generation that there really are enemies that hate America. That should never be forgotten. But yet in the midst of the rubble of Building 6, there was found something that would become a type of an icon. You've seen it hundreds of times over the last 10 years. As in the middle of the rubble, there was standing a cross. The Italian construction worker named Frank was the first to find this and he was searching for bodies and he looked up and he, he declares himself to be a Christian and he said, I looked up in the rubble and there it was. And he says, I was so startled, I just stood and stared at it and then he said, I cried. He said, I cried for 20 minutes and then I just began to pray. And relentless, tired rescue workers would find themselves making their way over that cross and searching for God, seeking God. Men and women for the last 10 years have come toward that cross in a way to seek God. I'm not suggesting that we have to have some kind of earthly material possession like a cross to seek God. I'm only bringing this out to say 9-11 did bring out something to our remembrance. Let us never forget God. How easy it is for us to do. In Deuteronomy, the 8th chapter, I'd like to give you two sequences of events here. And if you will, just quickly think with me on a timeline. The children of Israel have been enslaved, and finally they come over being free to the edge of Canaan land. But you remember, they showed doubt. They forgot God and His power. And so they went back in the wilderness, and they wandered for 40 years. And now they're about to go over into their home. They've been slaves. They've been wanderers living in a tent. And now they're going to have a land. They're going to have a nation that's given to them. And Moses knows their nature. And so he's bringing this law up to them again. He's bringing what they need to remember to their remembrance again. And notice what he says to them in Deuteronomy 8. And I'd like for you to see how this applies even to us today. Even though I understand that America is not God's chosen nation in any sort of way, like the children of Israel was God's chosen nation. I'm not suggesting that this evening. But what I am suggesting is that there are principles that would help anybody to be a blessing to any nation that they're a part of. And so, notice in Deuteronomy 8 and verse 10, Moses is declaring to the people, when you have eaten and are full, when, then you shall bless the Lord your God for the good land which he has given you. Beware that you do not forget the Lord your God. How do you forget God? By not keeping his commandments, his judgments, his statutes, which I command you today, lest... When you have eaten and are full and have built beautiful houses and dwell in them and when your herds and your flocks multiply and when your silver and your gold is multiplied and all that you have is multiplied. Pause there. What does America look like? Does it look like big, nice houses? Does it look like buffets on people's table? Does it look like that bank accounts are swelling and that people are doing good? Notice Moses doesn't say those things are bad. He just warns mankind of what happens by nature 
if you live by nature. We're called to live by a spiritual reasoning in our life, not a fleshly, not carnal. And so now let's pick back up in 14 and what he said at this point. In other words, they're going to have those blessings. And he says, when your heart is lifted up and you forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. You hear the great leader's plea? Don't get rich. Don't get full. Don't get comfortable. And forget God. Several hundred years passed. They'd gotten rich and full and comfortable. And they forgot God. So now let's fast forward to about 40 years before Babylon comes in and destroys Judah. The northern kingdom has already been destroyed because they had forgotten God before Judah forgot God. And so now we read about this man, Jeremiah, that was sent. And I'd like for you to notice, he gives a warning here in Jeremiah 5 and 21 that we want to capitalize on for the next few minutes, even into the songs that are going to follow in just a moment. But to to give uh, credence to this warning, he gives an illustration that maybe, unless you've studied this passage, I would dare say that many in this room have never thought about the illustration that he gives here. Let's read the instruction and the illustration. Jeremiah 5 and 21. Hear this now, O foolish people, without understanding, who have eyes and see not, who have ears and hear not. Do you not fear me, says the Lord? Will you not tremble at my presence? Pause there. Should we fear God? Absolutely. Do we recognize how powerful God is to provide or to punish? God is saying, do you not recognize who I am? And so then he gives an illustration. He illustrates it with something none of us could ever do. And notice what he says. He says, This is who he is, who have placed the sand as the bound of the sea by perpetual decree that it cannot pass beyond it. And though its waves toss to and fro, yet they cannot prevail. Though they roar, yet they cannot pass over it. But this people has a defiant and a rebellious heart, and they have revolted and departed. What's the illustration? He says, have you noticed the ocean? Do you really believe that sand can just hold the ocean in? Or is there a greater power that holds the ocean in its place? When you look at a globe, why is it that year after year after year, this ocean that when you go and visit it, it is a mighty roaring ocean that thunders in and then goes right back to where it belongs, and thunders in and goes right back to where it belongs. Is it the sand that makes it go back to where it belongs? Even when a tsunami or a huge tide waves over the land, it doesn't stay there. It still goes back to where? God says, it goes back to where I have told it to reside. And now God is looking at Israel. And He is pleading for them to remember who is in control. And it is in His pleading that He says, You have eyes, but you won't see me. You have ears, but you won't hear me. Listen, 
tonight in the midst of all that is good about America. God has blessed America. God has blessed America in wonderful and beautiful and powerful ways. But do you realize that in all that is good, does it drown you from seeing the one who provides the good? Tonight, let's do remember. It is always right to give honor to whom honor is due. Let's give honor to the men and the women that ran in to rescue as others were running out. Let's give honor to our soldiers that go out and they fight for our freedom on a regular basis. But especially tonight as we give honor to God, I ask you to really evaluate your eyes and your ears. Do you really see God? Do you really hear God? Let's sing about that. Let's stand.
Jeremiah was a man who was commissioned to work with the children of Israel for 42 years as Judah would eventually meet its end with Babylon, at least a remnant would be preserved and later brought back. And you probably know that portion of the story, but yet very early in the book, I'd like for you to notice that he dealt very honestly with the situation that he and his people were in. In Jeremiah, the second chapter, I'd like for you to notice what he says in verse 13 as he brings out two problems with the nation. He says, for my people have committed two evils. They have for, number one, forsaken me, the fountain of living waters. Number two, and hewn themselves cisterns, broken cisterns that can hold no water. Now these two go hand in hand, but notice what he's simply saying here. He says, I have a, I have a people that they could have drank deeply of eternal water, but instead they left this well and they went over and any other well is going to be a broken cistern. In other words, it doesn't matter where you turn once you leave God, that cistern is going to be broken. It's going to be dry. After the Babylonian captivity and Judah was allowed the remnant to return and rebuild, you remember Nehemiah also had the opportunity to go back and help. You remember in Nehemiah, the first chapter, he heard of the condition of Jerusalem at that time. And you remember his heart was broken. And you remember he prayed. And you remember that, that in his prayer, he, during the time of prayer, he fasted. But I'd like for you to notice, and we won't take the time to read all of the prayer, but I'd like for you to notice the honesty that, that he enters in to this time of prayer. It's in Nehemiah, uh, the first chapter in verse 6, he says, Please let your ear be attentive and your eyes open that you may hear the prayer of your servant, which I pray before you now, day and night, for the children of Israel, your servants, notice this, and confess the sins of the children of Israel, which we have sinned against you. Both my father's house and I have sinned. We have acted very corruptly against you and have not kept the commandments and the statutes nor the ordinances which you commanded your servant Moses. Do you remember also that Isaiah, he lived a hundred years before Jeremiah, and he also, when he saw the glory of God as he was being called to be a prophet in Isaiah the sixth chapter, you remember he also prayed, and you remember that he also confessed as he said in verse 5, Woe is me, for I'm undone. Because I'm a man of unclean lips. And notice this, I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Why do you think they did this? Why do we see God's leaders time and time again praying and confessing the sins of the people when we know that people cannot be forgiven until they repent, until they change and they confess their own sins? So why? Why does Jeremiah confess the sins of the people? Why did Isaiah confess the sins of the people? Why did Nehemiah confess the sins of the people? I don't suggest to you that I have this all figured out, but I think there are some things that are very important. I think it showed that the leaders had made a decision that they are going to live their life different from the immoral ways that surrounded them. I think they were declaring to the people that would join them in this prayer that we are not going to be desensitized. 
We're not going to accept whatever culture accepts, but we're going to continue to declare what is sin is sin. And I think also when doing that is a statement to recognize the fact that for any people and for any leader and for any nation, the only solution is to turn to God. If I could ask one of our elders, Hoyt Smith, to be making his way and Joe Joe Brown, one of our deacons, to be making their way, we're going to have a period of prayer. And even uh, in between these two prayer, a period of song that will be a prayer. And as we we pray, I I would like to ask you to go ahead and close your eyes. And I'd like for you to think of the simple statement that our Lord gives us That righteousness exalts a nation. It doesn't matter what nation it is. Righteousness exalts a nation. But sin is a reproach to any nation. Let's pray. Let's all pray. Our glorious and wonderful Father in heaven, Father, you are the almighty God, the creator who spoke the universe into existence. Father, what an awesome power you are. And Father, we are praying at this time just as great prophets of the old have prayed for their people. Father, we at this time want to pray for our country, for the people of the United States. Father, first of all, we offer our greatest thanksgiving for the blessings you have showered upon this country over the last few hundred years. Father, it is so evident that you have blessed us, and we thank you so much for that. Father, but our hearts are heavy at times because to be honest with ourselves, Lord, we live in a sinful nation. Our our people of this country... Father, have sinned against you. And Father, you know more than any of us these sins, but Father, to to pour out our hearts at this time, we want to confess the sins of this nation. Father, we have sinned against the innocent, the most innocent citizens of our country, the unborn. Father, we have sanctioned the murder of millions. Father, a holy nation can't let this stand. Father, it breaks our heart. Father, we have leaders in this country who who call good evil and who call evil good. There are those who are attempting to destroy our families by sanctioning homosexuality as as normal and as good and as wholesome when it's merely sin, Father. That's all it is. Lord, we know that a nation is only as good and moral and strong as its families. Father, so we pray for the American family. We know Satan has assailed the family in our country for many decades and wreaked terrible havoc on our families. Father, so we pray for the strengthening of our families. Father, we... We confess that as we have become a nation of plenty, a nation that you have blessed, 
We become materialistic. We become hedonistic. Father, we have worshipped our gold and our silver and our entertainment and our power. And we pushed you aside, Lord, and we, we confess that as a people. Lord, we, when we push you away, we turn to other things. We turn to alcohol, to substances that we abuse. Father, we turn to every place that we shouldn't when you were there before us. And we should, we should turn to you. And Father, we ask for a national repentance, a turning away from our sinfulness, from our evil ways. Father, it be your will. Can you soften the hearts of our people? Lord, will you make them open and receptive to the gospel of Jesus Christ? Father, will you help them to see that without sanctification through Jesus Christ that there is no hope? Father, we, we pray for the church in America, your saints who live here in this great country. Father, we ask that you give us boldness to preach your gospel in season and out. Whether we are ridiculed or not, help us to be the salt of the earth and the light that Jesus talked about. Father, if some of our congregations in this great country are, are complacent, please shake them out of their complacency. Father, we also earnestly pray that we may continue to worship you with the freedoms that we have. Father, help us never take these great freedoms we have for granted. But Lord, we don't know the future. You do. The future is in your hands. And Father, we commit our souls and our lives in your hands. But Lord, if persecutions come, and we're seeing them grow more and more each time, if they come, Father, give, this, give your church in America boldness and strength to persevere, to strive, to continue to preach the purity and simplicity of the gospel, no matter the cost. Father, we do pray for peace. But Lord, if persecutions come, let us look to that first century church who endured horrible persecutions, Father, and yet they rejoiced that they were able to be counted worthy to suffer for the name of Christ. That's the Christians we want to be, Lord. Father, give us strength to endure. Give us strength to persevere. Help us to know, Father, that the victory through Jesus Christ is already won. Yet we must contend earnestly for the faith. We must work because we simply love you. We love your word and we love souls. So Lord, again, we ask you to forgive our nation for its many sins. But Father, open the doors and the hearts of those who are hardened to the gospel message and may your people here in Mount Juliet and in the United States of America be ready, willing, and able to share that blessed gospel with them, that many more souls will be saved, that our people will turn to you with great humility in their hearts. For it is in Jesus' blessed name we pray. Amen. Father, hear the prayer we are.
Continuation, my God, our God, our Father in heaven. We pray for we pray for our country, Father. You you have blessed us, and over two hundred years ago, you blessed us with the ability to found this country upon religious freedom, upon principles that that we could come as a nation to worship you as you are God. Not to be forced to worship you in a way that you don't want to be worshipped. But you you let us stick up for ourselves to stand out. And it took a lot, a lot of people's lives to to gain that freedom. And and here we are over 200 years later, Father, and and I, I see a nation that has become complacent, that has become... A nation that has sort of gotten a little lazy, and we pray, God, that that we will not be that. We know that you want us to to work hard, to uh, to not to not be a nation that that feels entitled to you know everything. To to be a nation that that says you know you are our God, that you provide for us. But you expect us to work, to work hard, and to provide for our families. And I pray that we can get back to that nation that, that we once founded over 200 years ago. And Father, we, we've put your name, your name is on our documents, it's on our money, it's in our pledge. But we have leadership that in this country that is just pushing you away and trying to take that out. And help us to be bold, to step up and say, say no more, that we, that we love you, that we are going to continue on as a nation. Because when we forget you, this nation is nothing. It deteriorates and it cannot stand. We pray, God, that you will help us to be that nation. We pray that we can have godly leaders, those who will take these principles and stand up for them, to not be afraid, because when we stand up for them, they w- there will be ridicule. And for some reason, there, is, there has been, whether it's through special interests, through lobbyists, through, through people who are just trying to push their own agenda, that they have been able to get in the forefront of things that are, are put in front of our eyes every day through our mass media, through our internet, through everything. And I know that this nation is not, that is not the majority of this nation. I know the majority of this nation believes in you. And I pray that we can stand for that and to say no more. No more are we going to push you away. Father, and not only in our, our leaders of the, you know, our political leaders, the leaders of our local governments, the same there, the leaders of our state governments. The leaders, you know, we, we have, we elect judges in this country. Uh, we nominate them, we put them up, and, and it seems like we try, you know, to push political agendas, to push people into these positions to, to you know, make rulings for our agendas. And it's wrong. I pray that, I, that the judges that, that get put in office are the ones that, 
that will use your judgment, that will seek you, will turn to your word, which is the ultimate right and wrong rule book of, if we just read it, that we understand if we would turn to you. Help us to have more hearts like what Solomon had on that day when, when he became king and he sought your countenance and he said, you know, he, you, you granted him anything he wanted, that the thing he wanted was not power and riches, but was for discernment. And we need that. We need hearts like that. We pray that, that we can have judges. We can have leaders in this country that will do that. Father, we pray to thank you so much that we have people that, for these freedoms, they give their lives. Servicemen. Uh, people that... I mean, it's not, it's, not a gloryful, it's not a glory job. It's hard. It's, it's sweat and tears. It's, it's a life. It's, a, it's an attitude. We have people like Brother Burchett. We have people like my Griff that have given their lives in service of this country because they love it, because of what it stands for. It stands for God, you being our God. We pray that we can have protection for these servicemen. There are so many that have lost their lives. On Ten years ago, there were over 3,000 people that were killed. And a lot of them were, were first responders. That They saw the need, and they went up. And I, I know that they were thinking, I'm not going to make it out of this alive. But they knew what was right, because they, they knew what they were, they were in service for. And it was for you, God. It was for the betterment of man. And we thank you so much for them. And we pray that you be with their families and bless them. That you care for them and you protect them. That you have over these at least 10 years. And you, I, we pray that you will continue to go through the future. And we pray that you will help us to be servicemen. Whether we, we're not firefighters, we're not policemen, we're, but, you know, we're your servants. Help us to be bold, to step up for you, protect us, and help us to reach out to this community. Help us to be Christians that can serve you, pass on the name of Jesus, that, that you're our God, you will always be our God, and that we're not going to stand for pushing you out anymore. We love you so much, my Lord, and we pray that you will guide us in, in any way we can to serve you better. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. My eyes are dry. My faith is old. My heart.
37. We... Remain standing for this reading, for the next song, and then for the prayer following. Second Chronicles 7 verse 14. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. We will seek your grace, Almighty God.
Father, we come before you, we've, we've confessed our sin, and we confess the sin of so many in our nation. We've turned to empty wells. We've turned to everything else but you. But Lord, now we ask you for healing. And we know that if we come to you humbly, that you'll give us grace. Lord, we pray that you'll heal us, that you'll help us to get on the right track. We confess to you our sin, and now, Lord, we ask you for healing. In Jesus' name, amen. Be seated, please. I want to thank Hoyt and Joe and Philip for the prayers and the songs and David for the comments. I think you'll agree this has been a, a stirring evening. And I think you also, if you know me, know that sometimes tears come. Just bear with me. I've been waving a flag since I was a little boy. I have one in my yard right now. I was born two years after the Great Depression in this nation. I saw my dad leave to go to World War II. Well, that's not really true. I was two when he left. But I was old enough to remember when he came back. And when his plane landed in Nashville at Berry Field, our entire family ran out onto the tarmac to welcome him home. Like many of you in this room, I've been privileged to wear an Army uniform of the active Army and the National Guard for 31 years. And I love America. And I think that you do too. Tonight, we've heard several examples where the strength of a nation was witnessed. We've seen that great things can be accomplished when we join forces and work together for a common goal. Unity is the necessity, it's the necessary ingredient to get things done in a nation or in the Lord's church. We've alluded to that several times this evening. But I would also like to remind us that individuals are also recognized by God and play a very important role in the way that things happen. There are several individuals that I'd like to just mention briefly this evening that appeared before God and God heard them just as a party of one or, or just maybe a few in number, and they made a great impact on the way that things turned out. I'd like to go to Genesis, the sixth chapter, and read verses five through eight for you. Genesis six, verses five through eight. Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth, 
And he was grieved in his heart. So the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, creeping thing and birds of the air, for I am sorry that I have made them. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And if you go on over to chapter 7 in verse 1, it says, Then the Lord said to Noah, Come into the ark, you and your household, because I have seen that you are righteous, that you are righteous before me in this generation. The power of one. He was found, Noah was found to be righteous in the sight of God. David has already alluded to Jeremiah. And we've, we've seen how that Jeremiah was a prophet to Judah. Jeremiah, I think, had a, had a, a, a capability or a trait that a lot of people don't have nowadays. Jeremiah was a man that was called on by God to deliver bad news. He had to face the false prophets. He had to tell them of their impending doom. And brethren, we have a lot of people today that can't deliver bad news. They want to sugarcoat everything. But Jeremiah played a very important role. And if you go over to Jeremiah, the first chapter, verse 4 says, Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, This is talking, the Lord talking to Jeremiah, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I sanctified you, ordained you a prophet to nations. Who knows? Maybe you have been born for a specific task and we just haven't figured out exactly what it is that God wants us to do yet. Well, time will not permit us this evening to go much further, but there are several other individuals in small numbers of people that had great impact uh, on the way that things turned out. You could look at Moses in, uh, over in Exodus 32, verse 32. When Moses came back and found that the people had made the golden calves, he appeared back to the Lord and he says, the people have sinned. He says, but... I'm paraphrasing here, but he says, let me take the blame. I'll be the hitman." He says, you can blot my name out of your book if you'll just forgive them. We don't have a lot of people nowadays that'll say, I'll take the hit. Esther, a party of one, saved the Jewish people when she appeared before the king. Sodom and Gomorrah, Abraham, this, this, this story has two parts. Abraham pleaded with God to spare Sodom and Gomorrah. He says, if you can find 50 righteous people, would you destroy the nation? God says, find me 50. And then the number went to 40. And the number went all the way down to 10. If 10 righteous people could have been found, Sodom and Gomorrah would have been spared. But we know that that's not the way uh, that it turned out. Tonight, hopefully, you have seen what working together can accomplish both as a nation and in the church. And additionally, we have seen how that God sometimes works with individuals. And regardless of whether you are a team player and like to work with a large group, which I really do, 
or if you're an individual that likes to work alone on projects, the first thing that you need to do is to make sure that you're a kingdom player. You need to make sure that you are on God's team. And then once you're in his kingdom, the opportunities are endless. Tonight, you're going to have the opportunity. We're going to sing an invitation song. If you have never put on Christ in baptism, you're going to have the opportunity to do that. To be put down into the water and come up a new soul, a new creature. If you are a person in this room who has been baptized and have fallen away, find yourself at a distance from God, this would also be a good time for you to come back as we celebrate a nation, as we celebrate the church. What better time could there be than to respond to God's word as we together stand and sing? for going maybe a couple minutes over. We usually do pretty good on time. Um, but I tell you what, before we wrap things up, if you didn't get a chance to take the Lord's Supper this morning, it's been prepared in a room that's through the back of the auditorium. Someone will show you the way that you need to go. Um, we'll sing one more song. I think it's appropriate. We'll sing God of the City. And um, it's been a good evening. So thanks so much for your attendance. You're the God of the City. You're the King of the
Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, as we just sang, we pray that you will be the God of this city. Pray that you will be with the city of Mount Juliet in this community. Help us as citizens of this community, Father, to stand firm in your word. Help us to keep out any elements of evil, Father. We just pray that you'll watch us and protect us. Be with the, the leaders of the city, Father. We pray that decisions they make, that they will seek your word, Father, and, and, and pray for their decisions, Father, that it, it would be right in your sight. Father, we're so blessed in this congregation. We're thankful for this location in this city, Father, that so many people pass by here every day, and, and we pray that their interest may be piqued, that they will want to visit us, Father, that we can can teach them your word. We know that this community is growing, Father, and we just pray that we will do the purpose that we need to do, and that is seek and save the lost, and pray that, that we can be successful in that effort to, to bring more souls into your kingdom. Father, we pray specifically for our congregation. We pray for our elders that lead us. We pray that you'll continue to guide them, help them in the decisions that they make to better this congregation and to spread your word. We pray that they will always seek you in prayer, and we're, we're so blessed, Father, that they are so dedicated to holding to your truths and, and your teachings and, and just continue to be with them in that effort. We're also mindful of the mission efforts that, that we overtake throughout the world. pray that you'll continue to be with all those that that work in the various locations, Father, as we support them, we pray that we will always keep them in our prayers and, and do whatever we can to assist them. Father, we're thankful for our, our ministering staff, for David, for John Michael, for Philip, for Bud, for everything that they do, for the study and, and time that they put in, and, and for just their talents, Father, that they're able to proclaim your word so effectively and just pray that we can continue to be served by them. Father, we know that there are so many families that are represented in this congregation. Pray that you'll continue to be with all of us. Help us be godly people. Help us to lean on you when things are going great, when things are bad, Father. We know that you're always there for us. And Father, be with our, our children as they attend the schools in this community. We pray that they will be a fitting example of, of your teachings and your word, Father, as they interact with other students. We're so mindful of our young people that they're so willing to invite people to come and, and learn of your word and, and help them to never lose that spirit, Father. Help them to always be, be mindful of others and, and the knowledge that they need to learn of you. Father, we, as we close out this, this service and this prayer, we know that this has been an anniversary of a horrific day in, in the history of this country, Father, and we just pray that we'll always be mindful of that, but we know as Christians, this is a glorious day for us, that Jesus arose after being crucified, Father, and that we know it's through his blood that we're forgiven of our sins, and we pray that we'll always be mindful of that and, and help us to always strive to do what's right. Be with us as we leave this place. Be with us this week. Help us to always show your love to those that we come in contact with. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.